Good morning, everybody. Congratulations to all the nominees, everybody. Um, Two-time nominee, Isaiah Tatum. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man, I'm excited for the party this Wednesday for everybody who served um, this year at Asheville Life and serves on team faithfully. Thank you. Um, we're going to get into the word, but I would love to sing a little bit of I Am Persuaded. If y'all would sing along with me, I didn't know we were going to do that. That's actually a older Nashville Life song we used to do. It's on our first Nashville Life music album, and Dewan and Becca Gray wrote it, and it was really sweet to hear it, and I want to sing it again. So join us, I think. Yes. I am persuaded, neither death nor life. No angels or rulers in the earth or the sky. No power of darkness in this world or to come can separate me from your life. I am persuaded, neither death nor life. That's right. No angels or rulers. In the earth or the sky, no power of darkness in this world or to come can separate me from your love. It's a good song, isn't it? I love that song. Um, repeat these words after me. Uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Um, Pastor Marvin from last Sunday who brought the house down, um, so grateful for him, but he reminded us that the words of God, um, I should say the scriptures, it's, it's God's life by the Spirit coming into us whenever we read it, whenever we study it, whenever we hear it. We have to remember it's, it's, it's life, life coming into us. Um, remember that. I don't care if it's just your devotional on the Bible app or if you're watching something online or if you are here at church, every time you encounter the Word of God, it's life. It's the Spirit of life. And... Um, I just pray that you receive today as such because it'll really change the experience. Um, so I highly recommend it. And I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, hi. It's been um, a few weeks since I've preached, four actually. Um, it's my first Sunday preaching since Jasmine and me got married and went away for the honeymoon. And back and ready to work, ready to get back into it. She went back to work this week. I went back to work this week. Reality. But it's a nice, it's a better reality. Like everything we're doing, we're like, oh, we've never gone to work Mary before. We've never gone to the grocery store Mary before. We've never, 
preach, I never prepared for a message married before. Like everything's been a first this week and it's been, uh, it's been sweet, but uh, we're diving back into a great time closing out the year. We've got three Christmas services coming for you, two on Christmas Eve, on one, one Christmas morning. Um, we'd love for you to come. It's going to be an hour. We'll keep you only about an hour, well, maybe less. It'll be an hour. And, uh, but it won't be over. I can tell you that. It won't be over um, an hour. And I am looking forward to that. Last year, our first Christmas Eve service was a great success. And we're looking forward to doing that upstairs. We were downstairs last Christmas. Um, and now we moved on up to the second floor. And, and uh, when we start the year back, um, January 8th, um, we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. We're going to open up the doors of our church from 6 to 7 a.m. every weekday, and then we'll do prayer at 9 on Saturday. We're planning on just kicking off this year on a high note spiritually and really set the tone of what we want God to do for the rest of 2023. So I invite all of you all to be a part of that. We'll have more details for you, but yeah, 21 days, and uh, we'll be having prayer. I'll be here 6 a.m., every uh, weekday morning, and you're welcome to be with us. We did it this summer. It was powerful. Looking forward to a repeat and for it to be even better than it was before. So love that. Today, life group leading applications open. So for anybody who wants to lead a life group, we're taking applications starting today um, for the spring semester starting in February. It's uh, February through April. And we would love for you all to apply to lead a group this semester. It's awesome. I love life groups. I used to be over life groups. Before I was pastor, I was life groups director. So they have a special place in my heart. Um, we've got some great couples life groups. We've got some great women's life groups. I would love for some more men life groups. Um, so if you've been through life group training and you are a guy, I would love, please, to for you to take this semester and choose to lead a group. We've got some great ones, but I, I would like to see more just to facilitate all the new guys that are coming through and wanting to grow and wanting to learn. So be thinking about that, all men who have been through life group leader training. And that's it. It's going to be a strong year, but we're, all, we're not done with 22 yet. So I'm not trying to get us all the way to 2023 because we still have some great weeks left, including today. So today... I'm going to continue in the theme of withstanding the wind. That was the theme all of 2022. I've been talking about the winds of life and how to withstand that using the word of God. Um, when I say winds, it's a figurative term that pretty much includes every trial, every tribulation, every challenge, every conflict, every temptation. These are all things that every human being in this room, every human being on this earth, regardless of your faith or how you identify or what you believe, all of us, one thing that we all have in common is that we all go through winds. We all experience winds regularly. Sometimes they're more intense than others, but there's always some kind of resistance happening, whether it's traffic or something at home or something with your health. There's all types of winds. And the consolation that Christians have, practicing Christians, and I'll explain later, 
practicing Christians is that God promises that no wind will be too strong for those who do God's word. He promise, He doesn't promise that Christians and obedient Christians don't go through winds and don't experience winds, but he does promise, promise that none of those winds will ever prove too strong for your walk, too strong for your faith, too strong for your stance. And that's the consolation that we get as as followers of Jesus. He very simply and and clearly describes this in a passage in Matthew chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Jesus says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Amen. Because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Jesus is saying you will be like a house that withstands the greatest storm winds when you do what he says. And the key word is do. Doing makes the difference. Doing makes a difference. And the reason why I'm emphasizing that doing makes a difference is because I'm talking to a church right now. And so much of what happens on Sunday is the preacher, in this case me, is talking and you guys are hearing. And I love that y'all are here. And I think it's great that you're hearing. Hearing is an important step, but hearing isn't what makes the difference in withstanding the wind. If you want to withstand the winds of life and still be standing and not be knocked over and destroyed by the winds, it's not the hearing that does it. It's the doing that does it. And I have to make that clear to this room because there's a lot of hearing going on right now. But according to the scripture, you can hear all that I'm saying. You can even agree with what I'm saying and still have your life totally leveled by the winds of life and destroyed. And I don't want that to happen. I don't think you guys want that to happen. But it's possible if we stop it at this right here, coming, hearing a message. The strength doesn't build in your life until you do what you hear. In this scripture that Jesus gave, he gave two scenarios of two houses one had a great fall and was totally destroyed, and the other one is still standing today. And both houses represent people that heard the word. They heard it. They came. They sat. They listened through the whole thing. They didn't even get up and leave. They heard the whole thing, but it was the doing that made the difference. So as we are closing out this year of withstanding the wind, I was like, what is the one thing I can kind of sum everything up with? And it's this. You have to do the word. You can't just hear it. You've got to do it. You've got to do it if you want to withstand the winds, if you want your house to still be standing after all of the stuff that happens 
to our lives and with our lives. Um, why is doing so important? Why is doing so important? I'm speaking a lot on, on, on doing and, and action and, and working. And the reason why it's important is for two reasons that I'm going to point out. There's more than two reasons, but I'm going to highlight two. One is that doing gives life to your faith. Give, doing gives life to your faith. You can have faith, but it's not until you do something with your faith that breath actually blows into your faith. Like, there's actually breath that comes into your faith when you do it. Um, the scripture in James that I'm referring to in chapter 2 says, when you don't do anything, your faith is what James, is, James calls dead. And dead things don't do things. So, so if you want to have a living faith, you've got to accompany it with action with doing with with actually yeah doing it number two doing blesses your life there's a passage in James 1 that says anyone who hears the word and doesn't do what they heard James says that we deceive ourselves we actually trick ourselves we we we, we deceive ourselves and we become like someone who looks in the mirror and sees what they look like and then walks away and immediately forgets everything that they just saw. So it, it changes your identity. You forget everything and you can't retain information. And then the next thing it says is when you do, James says you will be blessed in your doing. The key word, he says you will be blessed in your doing. He didn't say you'll be blessed in your hearing. He didn't even say you'll be blessed in your agreeing. The blessing happens after you guys leave today, after you guys close your notes after you guys log off from watching online, the blessing isn't so much in this as much as it is when you do the things that you hear today. Pastor Pearson, a few weeks ago, from South Africa, was a guest speaker. I'm so honored that he came all this way and preached to us, and he talked about motives. And he talked about how you can actually do things, but with the wrong motive. You can do good things, but from a selfish heart or a prideful heart or a fearful heart or a, a self-righteous heart. And he was challenging all of us um, in our doing to assess our hearts and make sure that we're doing it from the right place and from the right spirit. Otherwise, um, it becomes tainted what we're doing and we don't produce the fruit that we are called to produce. And I agree 100% with his message. And I saw people on their knees, repenting, asking God to search their heart, and making sure that in my, in my spiritual uh, actions and church attendance and serving, Lord, am I doing this from the right zeal? Am I doing this from the right motives? And as much as we have to do that, we have to do that while still active. The best example I can give, and it's not great, but it's the best I can come up with, is um, I grew up watching uh, Saved by the Bell. And Zach, the, the, the main character, he would, he would call timeout, and everybody would freeze. And then he would talk to the audience and say something, 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 and everything would stop. And he would say time in, and it would get back in. And as cool as that feature is, that feature just doesn't exist in real life, and it's nowhere in the word of God, meaning that you can't stop time to assess your heart and get things in order and then say time in and start 
living. You have to assess and modify and adjust while working, while doing, while living. You know, parents can't say, kids, for the next few days, I just really need to get things right with God, so I just can't feed you for four days. Like, no, you've got to take care of your kids and get your life in order at the same time. You know, we can't, we can't go to our landlord and say, you know, I've got some goals and I really want to save money, so I'm not going to pay you for four months so I can save up and reach my goal. And then I'll, no, when you're saving money, you have to save while still paying your bills at the same time. So when it comes to, to doing the work of the Lord and, and being active in your pursuit with God, you will have spot checks where you'll realize that the motives was wrong, and you will have the Holy Spirit bring up that you're not doing something properly or you're doing something from the, from the wrong place or from the wrong inspiration or motivation, but you can't stop. You have to adjust and assess and fix and repent while still serving the Lord. For instance, let's say I find myself tithing and giving out of the wrong heart. Let's say I'm giving because I want to receive, and that's the only reason why I'm giving, and it's selfish motives. The Holy Spirit, in his kindness, will bring that to my attention and be like, Alvin, like, you've got selfish motives on why you're giving. That doesn't mean I stop giving. <laughs> it means I stop giving out of the wrong place. I shift my heart, and now I obey God, but from the right heart. You know, when it comes to doing the things of God, you will find yourself having to adjust and to sanctify and to purify and to repent, but you are still called to do what he called you to do, but just from a better place. Does that make sense? Um, so when it comes to doing, when it comes to working for the Lord, you know, if we're working and winning disciples because we want, making disciples because we want a pat on the back, that's not a good motive. But it doesn't mean we stop making disciples. It means we shift our motive and continue in the work. And I just want to give you all that word today. When it comes to doing, when it comes to being active in our faith, yes, check your heart, but don't stop the work. Don't stop doing. Don't throw everything out. Continue. Reassess, fix, alter it, change it, and keep moving because there's so much work to do and there's a lot less time than we think. Now I want to clarify a couple things about work because depending on your background, depending on what you've been through, when you hear it's time to work for the Lord and do things, you can, different emotions might come up. So I want to be open that I'm talking to a mixed group here. Um, when we work, we're not working so that we can be saved. There is no work that we can do that can pay for our sins. We could work every second for the rest of our lives and not even scratch the surface of how much we owed God. Like, we cannot work this off. There's not enough hours or labor to work off how much our sins cost. So we might as well just stop trying. You can't work for your salvation. You can't and you shouldn't and it doesn't work. However, when you are saved, you work. So I don't work so I can be saved. I work because I am saved. Because when you are saved, you are acknowledging that a great work was done for you. You cannot be saved without acknowledging and believing that an incredible work and labor was done for you. So your work is in response 
to the work that was done for you. It's never the initiator. It's not like we are coming to God being like, God, I did all these things. Can you take me in? And he's like, "Mm, let me think about it. No, it's the opposite. It's God saying, I've done all these things for you and us saying, let me think about it. Do I believe it? Do I accept it? Do I want to reciprocate my love by working for him? That's what our work is for the Lord. It's simply in response to the work that he has done for us. And I want to share this because, I don't know, I've preached to people in my generation for the past 10 years, and I've heard different arguments over the years, and I've just seen people really uh, clash at times and, and struggle with this idea of working in the kingdom of God, even though you're not... Uh, trying to earn something in return. And there's this whole idea of like, well, since I'm a son of God and since God loves me unconditionally, there's no call for me to work for him because you work. It's almost like we only associate work with slavery and we only associate labor with with being um, some like a second-hand citizen and the idea of being a, a, a first-hand son or daughter of God at the table and working doesn't seem to compute. And I was thinking about it, I was like, I don't, I don't know what's up with our generation. I don't know if it's because the, I, the days of the family business is starting to become like less and less popular and the idea of like sons and daughters working on the lands of their father or their mother or, or, the, or the shop that your family is own or different things like that. I feel like that was maybe more popular in previous generations than it is right now because it seems like we fight this idea that sonship and labor are mutually exclusive. But then if you look at the scriptures, you, I mean, David worked for his dad, Jesse. He worked the shepherds. He worked with the sheep. He, he tended the land. Uh, the prodigal son and his older brother in the parable of Jesus, they worked for their dad. It was their land. They, all, they, they were inheriting it, but they still worked the land. Uh, Jesus was the son of the father, and Lord knows he did a hard day's work during his life. So this idea of since I'm a son or since I'm a daughter, I shouldn't have to work, I don't know if that's a cultural shift or something, but it's, it's something that we need to get back on track and realize that when it comes to the family business, when it comes to the family's work, not only do you, not only are you not exempt from working because you're a son, but in most cases in the family business, you work more than the hired hired servants because you are the kid, because you are the son. So when you're saved, you are accepted. You become a son. You become a daughter. That's by his grace. That's because you were born again. And that comes with an inheritance. And it comes with a responsibility. And it doesn't conflict with your accept, being accepted by God. It's actually in total agreement with you being accepted by God as a son and as a daughter. Does that make sense? Are we good? Um, so no one can work for their salvation. No one can work for sonship. You have to be born into that. You have to be adopted into that. That is how you become a son. That's how you become a daughter. That's how you become saved. It's through birth only. It's through birth and then the spirit of adoption, which we all receive through Jesus Christ. However, every son, every daughter is commanded to work for their father's kingdom. Every son Every daughter is commanded to work for their dad. That's what we have been born into. We've been born into a family where the father gives his kids work to do. And you don't have to work for a place in the kingdom because you're already in the kingdom. You're already in it. 
But your work, what it does do is it creates a place for other people to come into the kingdom. So when you're working, it's not, oh, I got to work so I get into heaven. No, no. It's I got to work so that so-and-so can get into heaven. I got to do this work so that my friend can get to heaven. I got to do this work so that person can. It's a complete different spirit. So I want to make sure that when I'm talking about doing, when I'm talking about action and getting busy, I'm clear about why we're working. We're not working so that God can say, you know what, I like them. No, it's God says, I like them before you even did any work. And if you said, I love you back, show it by obeying his commands and getting busy. Getting busy because it's a doing that makes the difference. Ephesians 4 11 through, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. It says, and he, talking about Christ, he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So I'm letting you all know that my biblical job description as a shepherd, as a pastor, is to equip you all for the work of of the ministry, the work of the ministry. That's the only reason why I'm here, is to equip you all for the work of the ministry. And is that so that the church can be this sweatshop of all these oppressed and worn down and depleted people? No, it's the opposite. The next part says, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the work of the ministry is actually designed to build you up as a believer, to build you up as a member of the body of Christ, not to wear wear you down, not to tire you, not to oppress you, but to lift you up. And the purpose of that, verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Can everyone say maturity? Maturity or maturity, whatever word you want to say. Um, what do y'all say? Maturity, maturity, whatever. Um, guys, that's why we're working, so that we can grow up. Amen. Um, growing up is interesting in the body of Christ because we're most of us are all like adults. You know what I'm saying? So like we... We're fully grown, but when we are born again, we're like babies in the spirit, like wah, wah, like goo, goo, ga, ga. We are babies, and it's precious, and it's beautiful, and everyone's like, I mean, there's literally parties about it, and we celebrate it, like, and we should, but it's not God's will for anyone to remain a baby, Right? The idea is that every baby grows up, right? That's, that's the hope for parents, right? Like your kids grow up, and that's the same with the father. He loves his newborn babies, but God forbid they stay newborn babies after four or five years. You know, it's like, okay, now it's time for them to start walking and talking and reading and going to the bathroom and using, you know, these are, it's called development. So the father's the same way in that regard. He wants his kids to be developed, and they develop through the work of the ministry. They don't develop by just hearing sermons. Do y'all know how many Christians have been hearing sermons for years and haven't taken any steps up in the faith? They're unfortunately millions. Hearing the word is not what grows you up. 
It's when you start working the word. It's when you start doing the word that the muscles will start to define and the spine will grow and everything will start to develop and you will see yourself develop. It's through the working. It's through the practice. It's through the constant practice. It's not time doesn't do it. Hearing doesn't do it. Associating yourself with others who do it doesn't do it. It's not until you actually get your muscles involved and start acting out the word of God that you will see yourself develop and you will see him build you up. Which shows me one thing, and I had a revelation, that just because we are saved doesn't mean that we are mature. Just because we are the body of Christ, it doesn't mean that we are developed. Just because we are, are full of, of potential doesn't mean that we are productive. So, so what's, what's the transition? What's going to get us there? Jesus said famously when he, before he left the earth, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's such an encouraging and, and exciting scripture. Like, man, not even gates of hell can, can beat us. And it just has a way of pumping you up. But the next verse says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And you will bind and loose with the keys I give you. That's, called, that's what the work of the ministry is. Him saying, I'm going to build you up. The gates of hell won't prevail against you. I'm going to give you keys, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to bind. You're going to loose. You're going to bound things that need to be bound in the world. You're going to loose things that need to be loosed in the earth. That's the work of the ministry. And it's by us doing that that we become built up. And the more he builds us up, the stronger we are. And once we're built up and once we go through the development and the process and the maturity that obedience and action and work produces, that's when we'll be able to stand against the gates of hell and they won't prevail against us. You got to understand, like, he, he calls us to be strong, but we don't immediately become strong. He calls us to be strong, but it's through the working of the ministry. It's through the obedience. It's through the step-by-step -step action that we actually find ourselves being built up to withstand any wind, including the gates of hell. So it's a process. He's building us. And he builds us by doing the work of the ministry. Notice the work of the ministry specifically. I'm not talking about like your employment, you know, if you work at Verizon, that's great for your bank account, but that won't necessarily do your like spiritual journey, your spiritual maturity, whatever you work. If you work at work in itself is not what I'm talking about. Paul says that we are building up for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. Doing the work of the ministry is how God builds, us. God builds us, specifically the work of the ministry. Now, the work of the ministry might or should translate into your job that you do at work, but it's not the job itself that builds you up spiritually. It's the work of the ministry that builds you up. Doing the work of the ministry is how God builds us up. Doing the work of the ministry is how God develops us. Doing the work of the ministry is how God unites us. Doing the work of the ministry is how, grow, how God grows us to the full measure of Christ. It's doing the work of the ministry that forms this development in our lives.
But what is doing the work of the ministry? What is it? Well, it's honestly anything that the, God, the word of God tells you to do. Any and everything that God's word tells you to do can be considered the work of the ministry. So if God says he's giving you the keys and he wants you to bind up things and loose things, doing that is doing the work of the ministry. If God says love your enemies when they hate you, that is doing the work of the ministry. When God says go to your brother who offended you and make things right, that is doing the work of the ministry. When God says feed the poor, that's doing the work of the ministry. When God says give your tithes and offerings, when he says forgive so that you'll be forgiven, when he says preach the gospel, when he says treat people the way you want to be treated, when he says make disciples, when he says be baptized, all that he's commanded you to do is the work of the ministry. Because every time you obey God, you become more effective for his glory. Every time you obey him, you become that much more fruitful and you'll be of better service to those around you. An obedient Christian is so much more beneficial to others than a disobedient one. Like, the more obedient you are, the more help you are to those around you. It's not your gift, it's your obedience. It's not your talent, it's your obedience. I promise you, a disobedient, incredible singer is so much less helpful than a tone-deaf, obedient one. Now, they might not be behind the mic singing, but I bet you anything they are going to be so much more impactful to the lives around them. So please do not get it twisted. It's not your talent that's going to be the best help for people. It's your obedience to God. When God says make, when he said make disciples, that's the great commission. We live by that in Nashville life. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the next part says, teach them to observe, or some say to obey all that I've commanded you. That's what making disciples is. It's teaching people to be obedient to everything that's in the word. Everything. So let's say you're obedient, obedient to 10 things. Great. Hallelujah. Now let's go to the next page and do the next 10 things. Because there's so many things that the Lord is calling us to do in his word. And the more obedient we are, the more developed we will become as disciples. Life groups are a great tool for that. A great tool for developing disciples. For Not because there's just such great teaching happening. Because a lot of teaching happens here. Like y'all are hearing a lot right now, and hopefully you guys are remembering it and taking notes, but there's not a lot of doing here, right? Like, you're hearing, you're receiving, and really, the, the test is, once you leave, how effective this meeting was, um, because right now, we're all hearing, but Jesus made it very clear, not everybody who hears gets anywhere, <laughs> um, so the test is, after you hear, will you do? To me, at least from my experience, life groups helps keep you accountable in the doing, you know, Sunday happens, you hear, and then the group is a time where you can really ask yourself and ask each other, are we doing this? Are we doing this? How is our week-to-week -week looking outside the Sunday meeting? That's why I'm such an advocate for life groups and, and getting involved in one, whether you're leading one or going to one, because it helps, keeps you accountable in the action after you hear the word. So does serving on team. 
both great ways to keep you in the doing and not just in the hearing. The past two years have been a big wake-up call to me as a pastor. And, and some of the takeaways I have so far that I'm trying to take into 2023 is, is a church with potential does not equal a church with power. A church of promise does not equal a church of productivity. A church of good intentions does not equal a church with good fruit. Now, are good intentions wrong? No. It's just not enough. It's not the same as good fruit. Is promise great? Yes, but promise doesn't equal productivity. Potential is awesome, but potential and power aren't the same things. My prayer is that we go from potential to power. We go from promise to productivity. We go from good intentions into good fruit. And that's a process, and, and it's, a, it's an ongoing process, and it's, it's forever evolving. This, what I'm telling you is no disrespect to the past 10 years that we've had as a church at Nashville Life. The Lord has blessed our church. We have seen healings and salvations and baptisms and deliver. All the things have happened. At the same time, I believe the Lord is saying that there's more. In fact, I know he's saying there's more. So, so I'm, not, I'm not discrediting what God has done in our lives. All I'm saying is that he's just not done. We had a, a staying party um, Wednesday. It was so nice. It was, it was this full-on dinner. Uh, Pastor Marion put it together and did an amazing job. And we invited um, everyone who, from the beginning of Nashville Life to year five, um, have been consistently serving at our church. And it was a a much bigger number than I actually would have guessed just off the top of my head. We had a bunch of RSVPs, and I was like, man, all these people. So I walked in and just saw this room that just oozed, like, stories and faithfulness and, 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 and trials and tribulations and overcomings and, and, and laughter and funny stories and, and just amazing things that have happened over the past 10 to 5 years. And it really blessed me. It was one of my favorite things. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a kind of a nostalgic person. I really love looking back and thinking just how much God has done over the years. And that day was a, that night was a great reminder of just how much has happened. And we got to celebrate it with everybody who was there this whole time. And, and, and hasn't stopped. Hasn't stopped. And I was honored to be in their presence. And I was honored for what the day represented and what the event represented. Um, but I told them I made a commitment after all the nostalgia, after all the talkings. Remember this? Remember Desi's training? Remember this? Remember encounter? Remember this? Remember, oh, my gosh, remember that person got saved? Remember that person got healed? Remember that person fell off the stage? Remember? Like, you're just, that never happened. We were just talking about funny stuff, good stuff. And uh, as sweet as it was, I told them, I was like, this is what I'm doing, and I invite you all to do the same thing. As awesome as it's been, as awesome as today has been of reminiscing I said, I have made a personal choice. Me, Alvin Love, I've made a personal choice to not let my memories outshine my future. And I said, only I can make that choice for myself. There's many people who have made the choice, even if it was subconsciously, that the best was the glory days in college or high school or when I 
you know, I'm saying, you know, like when I, back when I was this, or, and it's all downhill from here. And if that's the life that you choose, oftentimes that's exactly how it's going to look. If you believe that your best days were yesterday, first of all, that's so sad. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't really make you want to get up every morning, which is why some of y'all might not want to get up every morning. Because you're not fully convinced that you have something better to look forward to. So I have made that choice that my memories, as great as they were, and as great as God has been over the past 10 years at Nashville Life, I'm choosing to believe that my memories will never outshine my future. And I encourage you guys to adopt that same mindset. It changes everything. It really just changes your whole perspective. And it's rooted in truth. It's rooted in the word of God. I want to end with this. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 through 16. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop there. First of all, this was written by someone who at this point was already praying for handkerchiefs and giving them to people, and they would just touch the handkerchief and they would get healed. This was not this starter or novice. Like, I'm so moved by a man who's as accomplished and powerful like Paul was still saying, I still haven't made it yet. I'm still not perfect yet. So I'm like, if he can have that level of more is ahead, and he, has, he planted I don't know how many churches and saw all kinds of miracles, surely I can believe that there's more ahead for me to press on towards. The second thing I want to point out is the word press. Pressing implies some kind of resistance. Like notice it didn't say I lean on towards the future. You've got to press towards the Lord. If you are expecting to conquer the future and conquer all that God has for you and experience without pressing, it's not going to happen. You're not, it is, notice the scripture doesn't say I, I, I ease toward the calling of God or I, I cruise towards all that God has for me. It says I press. In other words, it says I strain. Paul is telling us what it takes to conquer and to make sure that our future is more glorious than what we've experienced in the past. You're going to have to do some pressing. You're going to have to encounter the resistance of the wind that's saying, stop, you've done enough. Four salvations is enough. God will be happy. No, there's more out there. There's more for me to do. There's more glory for me to, for me to produce for the kingdom of God. Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. There goes that word mature again. He says, if you're mature, you got to start thinking this way, that what's ahead is greater than what's behind you, and it's worth the press. It's worth the push. It's worth the strain. Not so you can be saved. You're already saved if you believe in Jesus, if you're following him. But this is about how to follow the Lord. 
We're, we, we were saved by a Lord, guys. You've got to remember who we're following here. We're following someone who was crucified for a more glorious future than the past. Like, talk about pressing. He allowed himself to experience inhumane torture for the joy that was set before him. So I'm trying to let you guys know that if you're a Christian, in case you didn't know, you're following someone who presses towards all types of adversity for a greater future. And you have that, that that's who we're following. And I, 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 I want to make sure I'm conscious of the way I, because I don't want to assume that y'all have heard this before. Some of y'all haven't heard this before, so I don't want to talk to talk to you like you've heard it 30 times and you've only heard it once, even though I know some of y'all have heard it 30 times. Jesus is who we're following. And if you look at his life, how can we expect to follow in his footsteps without a strong press? How can we expect to follow someone who had the life of Jesus and not have to press and sweat and cry and even bleed? How can we expect to follow Jesus? We, we know how his life was. And we say we follow his steps. But when the resistance comes, are we ready to press? Are we ready to strain forward? Knowing that what's on the other end of this press is greater than anything that's before, behind us. Paul says, let the mature think like this. So I'm speaking to those of you who are ready to grow up. Whether you are unsaved and you're ready to grow up and start following Jesus, whether you follow Jesus but you have just really loved toddler life and just really just didn't want to get into elementary school or, you know, you, you, you just, oh, there were so many sweet things about 10th grade. Oh, my God. I love Miss So-and-so who taught 10th grade, 11th grade. I just don't. Wherever you are, I'm telling you, to let's, let's all choose to press towards the next stage together. And it doesn't happen by hearing this. It doesn't even happen by clapping and saying amen. It happens by doing what we talked about today. And that is looking at the word of God and saying, am I going to be a hearer only or I'm going to actually do this? Because it's not until you do that you grow. It's not until you work that you develop. Next week is our Zeal for the House offering day. We've been talking a good bit about this. And I want to encourage everybody as you are thinking, the whole idea is that, you know, above your regular tithe and your regular offering that you give, which is huge. That's how we're here today. We like to designate a day where we take a step beyond that and actually press a bit. Now, pressing is, uh, it takes a little effort. So zeal for the house, you probably aren't going to lean into your gift for the zeal for the house offering or cruise into it. You're probably, if it's going to be what the zeal for the house offering needs to be, make sure it qualifies as a press if it's, if it's too effortless, it might not be 
the press that God is asking for. And the reason why I want you to be a press, reason why I want it to be a press for you is the spirit of this offering and how I'm going about it and how I would love for you all to go about it because I think this is the best way to go about it. I think it's the way that's going to be the most beneficial to everybody, including the giver, is if you let this offering symbolize a pressing toward a future that is brighter than your greatest memory. Whatever your greatest memory is, press forward into something that will be greater than anything that you've experienced back there. I'm not, I'm not just talking about your sin. Like, that's obvious. Your future is greater than your life when you were dead in sin. I'm talking about those of us who actually have experienced great miracles and great encounters with God, and you've seen him move in big ways. The Lord is saying that he wants to outshine even that. It's easy to outshine sin and death in the grave. I mean, you don't need much to get better than death in the grave. The Lord is saying, I actually want to outshine the good things that have happened in your past, not just the bad things. I want you to use this offering to press into a life that is more devoted, more surrendered, more fruitful than anything you've ever experienced before in your life. I want you to use this offering to press into a greater church than we've ever seen before. Think about our staff being greater than it's ever been before when you give. Think about our missions being more impactful and more widespread than they've ever been before. Think of our children and our youth being more fruitful and more on fire than they've ever been before. Think about our discipleship making, our disciple making being more impactful and, and more effective. Think about our community impact in this Nashville area being greater than it's ever been before. And that's the faith and the vision that I want you guys to have that's going to motivate the press. And I believe that whatever that pressing offering is tomorrow, and then next week, that zeal for the house offering, I believe it's going to be a blessing, not just to you, but to everybody in this church. I believe it's going to be a blessing to this city. I believe it's going to be a blessing to the kingdom of God. And most importantly, I think it's going to be a blessing to our Father in heaven who's watching and seeing his sons and daughters work in his field. A couple of things, objectives I want to remind you of when it comes to our giving, even outside of this offering, 10% of all of our contributions, anything that comes into Nashville Life, goes to outside missions, whether it's helping build another church, helping to, helping to support a nonprofit, Everything, 10% of that goes that. So the more that we give, the bigger that 10% will get. Um, a couple other things is uh, church planning support nationally. We give to ARC, which is an amazing church plant ministry, and we get to partner up and see new pastors get off the ground and get their churches launched, and we love that. We want to continue doing that because we're all one big church, right? Um, underdeveloped country church support like we were able to give and build the church in Kenya a couple months ago. We want to continue doing that. We want to go back. We want to see ourselves even have more of a presence overseas and in areas that need us. Um, resource support for the hungry and for the homeless in Nashville. Um, we want to continue. We were already doing that. But we just want to do more of it. 
again, this is not about we're not doing anything and we are worthless. This is about we're doing something, but there's so much more that the Lord wants to do. Um, elementary school and high school adoption, we've started with Paragon. We're already starting to build one with a high school down the road. We are wanting to make our presence known in helping and serving not just the kids, but the faculty and staff of schools. We believe the education system, especially, you know, they all need Jesus, and we want to be a presence. So we would love to be able to have more resources to do that. Um, service and engagement with our city's first responders. We already started across the street, made a couple trips to the fire department, looking forward to doing more with them. I want the first responders in our areas to know that Nashville life is behind them, and we're praying for them, and we're here to support them. And then lastly, facility renovation for our life groups and youth, which is that back building. We want to make that greater. We want that to be as nice as this one, this building. So we would love to do that because that's where we want to do more life groups and more youth events. So just be thinking about that stuff as you contemplate. The Lord says, let each man decide in his heart what he should give. So this is between you and the Lord. I just wanted you to have some stuff to think about as you consider. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm already expecting something awesome because as a man of faith, that's just what we do. We expect that, that what's ahead is greater than what's behind us. And I just pray that y'all join with me in that mindset. I'm going to ask us to pray, and then we'll, we'll close out. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, for reminding us that the difference is in the doing. God, I thank you that we will be a church that doesn't just hear the word, but, Lord, that we will do it, God, and I thank you that because of our obedience, we will see uh, great growth and development and maturity happening in us, both individually and as a church. God, I thank you, Lord, for um, vision for a greater future. God, I thank you, Lord, that nothing that you have um, behind us is, is greater than what you have ahead of us, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that each person chooses to believe that the future is worth pressing forward towards. It's worth, it's worth the strain. It's worth the press, God. And I pray that we adopt that same mindset that Paul shares in Philippians, Lord, where we will continue to press toward all that you have for us and all that you want to do through us in the kingdom of God. Lord, as I pray for the growth of the kingdom of God, I can't ignore, Lord, the people that are in the room that might have not made the choice to follow you, Jesus. There are people here that, that for whatever reason, for whatever reason, just don't consider themselves uh, saved. They don't see themselves as forgiven of their sins. They don't see themselves as being sons and daughters in your kingdom, God. Lord, and whatever it is that contributed to them not thinking that, Lord, it wasn't too strong to keep them from coming here. They're here today, God, and I just want to take full advantage of them being here, Lord. I'm going to ask for your spirit to pursue them in this moment and for them to feel your gentle but passionate love for them, God. And I pray, Lord, they would respond by saying yes to you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, they would choose to be reborn today, Lord, so that they can experience a, a father-son or a father-daughter relationship with God the Father. Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would step 
step into their, their position and their responsibility and their purpose in the kingdom of God, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that as we pray this prayer, they would, they would pray the prayer in faith, knowing that this is the first step in their new birth and their new life with you, Jesus. So I pray all of this in your name, and let's all say amen, and let's all stand on our feet. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I want us all to pray it together, but we're really the, p- supporting those who are in the audience that are praying this prayer either for the, either for the first time or they're coming back to God after being away. Uh, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you believe that salvation happens and it's alive today, let's give a thanks to God. Let's give a praise to him for his mercy, for his acceptance, for his power, for his word, for his truth. God, you're amazing. We love you. Everybody, if you said yes to the Lord for the first time or you're kind of reconnecting with God, let us know. Just text the word BELONG to 77411. And we'll be happy to connect with you. We also have a prayer team that's going to be here to pray for you. If you have any needs, let us pray for you. Don't be shy. If you have any needs or want prayer, uh, no matter who you are, come on up. We're here to serve you. And then lastly, well, two things. If you want to learn more about Nashville Life, I'm going upstairs right now to lead a brief Next Steps 1. Uh, I would love to meet you. I'm leading it today. So come and hear more about the church. You can see if you want to get more involved with us or not, but we would love to meet you. And then thirdly, or lastly, if you would like to give tithes or offerings, uh, thank you in advance. You can give online or our team is going to be in the lobby to serve you. Um, I'm so glad you are here. I pray we have an awesome final month of the year. Uh, It's an honor to be back. Thank you so much for the love and support. And let's pray. Uh, Father, we love you. I pray a blessing over every person who's here, who's watching online. I pray a blessing over every family that is represented here. Protect us. Lord, thank you for your mercy and grace. Lord, let us not just hear the words today, but let us leave ready to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.